It's your Wednesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back again for another day, a full show, and a show where they required a little bit of nimble footwork um, this morning, maybe a little bit of inside podcasting, inside baseball, as it were, as we navigate the news of uh, the Carlos Correa signing with the Giants late on, uh, on, on Tuesday night. That was to be um, the subject, one of the subjects that Lavelle E. Neal III and I talked about um, earlier Tuesday for a segment on this show. So I'm gonna make a, we're gonna make a little lemonade out of uh, out of the lemons. Um, Lavelle and I talked about plenty of other stuff, and I'll play all of that in its entirety here in a little while. Um, but in the intro segment here, we're gonna talk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play a little bit of, of what Lavelle and I talked about in terms of Carlos Correa and everything we talked about, of course, was before he signed with the Giants um, instead of uh, perhaps the Twins, which were who, who were in the mix on him. Um, I'll sprinkle in some of my own thoughts on that with some of uh, some of Lavelle and I, our conversation about Correa, and uh, I'll give it a little unique twist. Hope you enjoy uh, the, uh, the, uh, the way I've decided to, uh, to cobble that together. Um, Lavelle and I also talked about other twins stuff, including you know, the signing of Christian Vasquez, their catcher earlier this week, the possibility of a Luis Arias trade, and just kind of roster building in general. Lavelle and I also talked about the Timberwolves and the Vikings, so plenty of, of good stuff to get to with him there. And at the end of the show, I have some extended thoughts on Mike Leach, the uh, uh, college football coach, his un- untimely, unfortunate passing earlier this week. Just kind of remember, made me remember a conversation I had with him for a Q&A about a decade ago and just what a unique personality he was. First, though, like I said, what did I miss? If you woke up to the news this morning, um, you probably didn't love it, although I'll get to reasons why maybe you you shouldn't hate it at least, um, that Carlos Correa to the Giants, 13 years, 350 million dollars. That's a lot of that's a lot of reasons why he might have gone to the Bay Area. Now, reports suggesting, I've seen multiple reports um, um, suggesting the Twins' final best offer was 10 years for 285. And that's that's not a bad offer by any stretch. I mean, listen, anytime we're talking about money in sports, it's all relative. But, um, you know, uh, so saying... An offer of 285 million wasn't too bad. Is a little bit uh, a little bit suspect to begin with, but it's actually a higher annual value than what uh, than what Correa ended up getting from the Giants. The difference being the total guaranteed money. A lot of those back end final year deal uh, final years of that. You know, who knows if he'll even still be playing or not? Because you know he's 28 right now. He'll be into his 40s by the time that contract expires. So. Um, Here's what I think about this, and you know I've, I've had some time to think about this uh, and kind of sort through the whole process of them pursuing Correa. Um, I think the Twins simultaneously might have got played a little bit here by Scott Boris and uh, and Carlos Correa, and at the same time, I think they might have dodged a bullet. And what I mean by that is, A, I'm sure their pursuit of Correa was legitimate, and I'm sure there was a possibility that he was going to sign here but once the once you saw the way the market was going to unfold the way a lot of teams were throwing around big money 
um, you knew at a certain point that another team was going to be able to outbid the Twins. Number two on that is I don't think the Twins were, you know, as much as he built a relationship here in that one year, I think to Scott Boris, the Twins were never anything more than a a team that he could negotiate off of. Now, that doesn't mean he never would have signed here if the market would have pointed him toward Minnesota, but um, Scott Boris doesn't do anything for anything less than um, the top dollar that he can get. And if he could find a team that could fall in love with Carlos Correa, could could talk itself into a long-term deal for Correa, at least create some sort of baseline market for Carlos Correa, man, the Twins sure fulfilled that. And again, not to say that they never could have signed him, but I never got the sense all along that they were a favorite to sign him. I always felt like they were a fallback plan if the market didn't come to him. And once these other shortstops started signing, you knew that Correa was going to have a you know at least a handful of suitors. And the Giants were the ones, after they missed out on Aaron Judge, that came up with the money. Number two, as good as Correa was for the Twins last year, I don't think I would have paid... 13 years, $350 million, and I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have paid 10 years, $285 million if I was the Twins for him. I just don't like investing that amount of money in a position player whose skills are certainly going to decline at a certain point on the back half of that contract. I think it would have been, to a degree, it would have been Joe Maurer all over again. Now, again, um, Carlos Correa, great track record. And I'm not saying they shouldn't go out and spend money. And I know that's the cost of doing business these days. I'm just saying the Twins, if they are dealing in a certain amount of reality, tying up 15 to 20% of their payroll in one player, even one as good as Carlos Correa, even someone who's as good a leader and player as Carlos Correa, is a dangerous business. I know we want the Twins to operate in those spheres. I know they can if they decide to change an economic model to a certain degree and go that route, I just don't know if that would have been the player that I would have gone all in for, even if it seemed like it made a certain amount of sense for the Twins. So I think they dodged a little bit of a bullet here in terms of what ended up happening. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. Now, like I said, Lavelle and I talked about Carlos Correa before the signing ended up happening. It was This was a conversation from earlier Tuesday. And I'm going to divide into three segments. Um, you might find this a little bit derivative, but I'm going to divide these into three segments. The ghost of Carlos Correa past, the ghost of Carlos Correa present, and the ghost of Carlos Correa future as we think about what ultimate, what ultimately happened just hours after Lavelle and I talked and our conversation in general and what it means for the twins. The ghost of Carlos Correa past. <laughs> talked about a couple times like it feels like some of the dominoes have fallen already Aaron Judge signed with the Yankees you've got two of these shortstops already off the market with Trey Turner and Xander Bogarts so it feels like we should get some clarity at some point here on Correa but it hasn't happened you know it didn't happen at the meetings and it's so now we're kind of at this point where 
you never know when it's going to happen. What what's your read on where they stand with that? What what uh, you know what Scott Boris is looking for for Carlos Correa and and how close the Twins might be able to get to that? Yeah, I, I think the Twins tried tried as hard as they could to assign um, Correa and keep him in the, in the Twins uniform. I just don't know if it's going to work out. Um, there were reports that the Yankees were in you know, a couple of days ago, but but now maybe they're out. Um, the Giants did not get Aaron Judge, so they got about three hundred million dollars laying around that they are willing to spend. Um, the Cubs have shown interest, but then late last night there was a report that maybe the Cubs are out. Um, is there a three hundred million dollar offer out there uh, for Correa? I sense that's what Boris wants. Um, you know, Trey Turner signed a nice fat deal with the Phillies. And he he will not want to slot his guy in behind Trey Turner. He'll want to slot him above Trey Turner. Now, I was told that if you include what the Twins paid Correa in 2022, which was about what 34, 35 million dollars, that yeah, 35.1, uh, I think <clears throat> their offer would be close to uh, 11 million, 11 years and a 300 million dollars. It'd be close to that, but not quite. So. Okay. Uh, they've been trying and they've been tweaking this deal to try to entice um, Correa to sign. I, I just I just don't know. Now, may, could they benefit from them running out of suitors? Possibly. Um, you know, the Giants do have Brendan Crawford still at shortstop. They can use there for another year um, if uh, they don't like the numbers that Boris is asking for. So but the problem with Scott Boris is he's going to play the long game. He's right. going to wait this thing out to try to get uh, extract what he wants from teams. He's going to ask to talk to the owner directly. You know, he's going to want to have, uh, you know, um, high profile meetings and, and things like that. And I don't know if the twins have the time or the willingness to play the long game with Boris. The ghost of Carlos Correa present. <laughs> I was told over the weekend that, you know, by the middle of this week, you know, they may decide to move on and maybe pivot to Swanson or just they have an offseason. They have a bunch of moves they want to make. They're still interested in upgrading the rotation. Right. Uh, I know I know they're interested in Carlos Rodon. I don't know if they're willing to give him seven years and $25 million a year, which he's seeking. Personally, I would sign Rodon to that. Um, I know that three years ago he had injury history. Uh, the last two years, though, he's been relatively healthy. And last year he was excellent. And um and the Twins have not had a quality left-hander uh, in a rotation for a number of years. I mean, the last two lefties they've had who have started 20 games in a season, uh, the first one was Martin Perez, and the second yeah. was Alberto Mejia. Oh, my okay, God. Okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Mejia got, got 20 starts in a season? Yes, yes, he did for the Twins. Oh yes, gosh. he did. Okay. So um, it tells you where they had as far as having a quality lefty in that rotation. I would do it, I'll be honest with you, because... Yeah. The going right for a good starting pitcher is now twenty to twenty-five million dollars a year. Um, this was we were headed this way when the Twins are trying to de- determine whether or not to keep Jose Barrios, and they yeah. end up trading him. You know, and Barrios, by the way, is not a number four starter in Toronto. That's yes. ridiculous what they're doing with that rotation. So um, the Twins have other things on their list they need to check off, and they need to find out sooner than later if they really have a real shot to land Correa. But I just don't know. If Boris, you know, reacts well to being having a deadline sped up in him, so we're going to see how this is going to play out here pretty soon. The ghost of Carlos Correa future. <laughs> now let's put this to the Jurassic Park test. Um, Jurassic Park, the famous quote from that movie, or one of the famous quotes from that movie, is, 
you know, we, we spend so much time wondering if we, if we could, we stop asking whether we should. I know how good Correa was last year. I know how much he meant to the clubhouse, but is, is that where you want to, is that where you want to take your big swing? I know I, you, you raise a good point, but man, Correa is so good. And he plays a premium position and um, he makes the bet twins a better team uh, because of his presence uh, in the locker room. And I'm sorry, in the clubhouse and, and on the field. Um, uh, so I, that is to tempt, it's, it's tempting to bring him back, but just because it, it makes the twins even more competitive, but, um, they've tried to have quality offense before and where's it gotten them? You know, they set a major league record for home runs in the season when he probably should have tried to add pitching during the regular, during the season to kind of help their cause. So maybe they do need to try another way. And, you know, I, I like a lot of the young hitters they have. I really like Miranda. I like Alex Kirilov. I think he's going to be a hitter if he once he gets over this wrist issue. Um, uh, I think Royce Lewis, you know, will be available by midseason if they have to wait for him to recover from his knee surgery. And we saw that he has ability as well to be an offensive player. So um, they got some young hitters that have some promise. And Austin Martin, you know, could be on the radar sometime sure. this year as well. Um, <clears throat> Trevor Larnick, um, Matt Walner showed some promise. You know, they got some young hitters who, who could do something here. So, um, augmenting that rotation could be the better way to go, but you know, they've got some arms there too. You know, I still think Bailey over and Josh Weiner could be good starters. And when you pair them with Sonny Gray and Tyler Molly and, and Kenta Maida and Joe Ryan, you know, you, you got options for that rotation, man. Right. I, I, I think this team can be pesky uh, next year if they don't have Korea. If they do have Korea, they can be a little more dangerous. And now that we've got that out of the way, here is the other stuff Lavelle and I talked about that is still 100% relevant. So it's a number of subjects kind of time. We're in mid-December. Vikings are interesting. Timberwolves are interesting. Twins are interesting for various reasons. And I want to start, Lavelle, with the Twins. You were... Um, you were in California in, in the San Diego area recently for Hall of Fame stuff, but also for um, some winter meeting stuff. Twins on Monday, in fact, um, signed Christian Vasquez, catcher to a three-year, thirty million dollar deal. Um, let, let's start with the let's start with what we know: the Vasquez deal. Um, <clears throat> you know, catcher was maybe an underappreciated um, deficiency last year with Jeffers being hurt with, um, you know, with them making the Mitch Garver trade before the season started. What do you think of this as, um, as a means of solidifying uh, what they're trying to do there? Yeah. The catch spot should be significantly upgraded uh, next year. Vasquez is a solid, if not above average catcher, uh, definitely defensively. He's got a strong arm. Uh, the defensive metrics favor him. Uh, he can control the running game. He uh, apparently is a good pitch framer. And for a staff that has a lot of young pitchers, he'll be a good fit for them uh, because he's worked with a lot of good quality starters in his career uh, with Boston before he moved on uh, last year. Um, offensively, he'll be functional at the plate. You know, he'll if he hits 270, that's pretty good for Major League Baseball these days. So it's a plus-plus. Um, the Twins suffered because once Jeffers went down, um, I don't even know the, the waste of protoplasm that is Gary Sanchez had to uh, settle behind the plate. And when he wasn't striking out, he was um, 
drop, uh, not catching pitches and, and fumbling pitches and just showing why the Yankees were so happy to include him in the Josh Donaldson trade a year ago. So farewell, Gary Sanchez. Hello, Christian Vasquez. That is going to be a huge jump in talent and ability level if you just compare those two. Uh, from a hitting standpoint and definitely from a defensive standpoint. And now Jefferson doesn't have to carry the load. Uh, he can continue to develop and maybe learn a few things from Vasquez. So it's a good move for the Twins who need to address, uh, you know, I still think catcher is one of the most vital positions on the field. And uh, the Twins got a good one with Christian Vasquez. Kind of reminds me you know, of a different different player and certainly righty lefty is different, but Kind of reminds me of when they signed Jason Castro a number of years ago when it was, you know, they just were like looking for someone to kind of hold down that job. That so someone that was maybe not flashy, but you know, I think Castro was kind of underappreciated here for for what he did, even though he didn't hit a ton. He was he was a guy that, you know, pitchers like throwing to him and he he gave them a certain amount of stability there. Yeah. I like Jason Castro. He was actually a, a Stanford guy who wasn't one of those smug, elitist Stanford people that you run into. Um uh, across this country. He was actually a reasonable guy to talk to, except when Trevor Hindelberger pitched to him because Hindelberger went to Cal. And I remember going up to uh, Castro and going, wow, a Cal guy pitched to a Stanford guy. That's almost like an unholy alliance. And, <laughs> and Castro said, I I had to try very hard not to tell the hitter what pitch was coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. But yeah, I mean, <clears throat> your, your larger point stands. I mean, just the fact that you know, again, this is this is probably you know this is not going to be you would think their signature offseason move, but if you're deficient in catcher, it shows up pretty quickly, and they just they were not good in that spot last year, especially after Jeffers got hurt. So there you go. It also reflects the lack of catching depth in the organization. They didn't have yeah. a young guy that they could uh, throw out there. I think they tried Caleb Hamilton one game and said, "Oh my goodness, we can't uh, we can't keep throwing this guy out here." So. Um, so hopefully they're look they're also addressing this uh, from a developmental standpoint about the the catchers they draft and develop within the system as well because they kind of got got caught with the pants down a little bit um, when uh, when Jeffers went down. Dealing Luis Arias uh, is something that's been mentioned, reported. Is that a good idea? I mean, he's one of your only. It feels like he's right now one of the only guys that gives you, you know, that that kind of consistent you know, day in, day out, good at bat, dangerous batting title last year. But, you know, there, he's he's got some holes in his game. He's not a great defensive player. Um, what what do you think, what do you make of, of that? I mean, you've got to give something to get something. I know that, but is that someone you want to, you know, give up in, in even if it, if it, even if it means bringing pitching back? Yeah. Um, well, it depends when you get back. If, if Arias needs to be part of a package, to land someone like Pablo Lopez from the Marlins, then I would seriously consider doing it. But other than that, I mean, Arise is the only guy that looks like he's dangerous when he's facing good pitching. I mean, down the stretch when the Twins, you know, were, were, were playing in some games that were meaningful, he was the one guy who looked like you know, he was not phased by the big moment and, and could hit, you know, the starter or the team's best closer as well. Um, but the Twins continue to have concerns about – his long-term health. Um, they're worried about his knees. Um, worried about uh, what, where he could play in the field. You know, it was first, second base. Now it's more first base. Um, my argument is that Arias has been aware of this, and he went and spent seven weeks with Nelson Cruz last offseason and came to camp 
in the best shape of his career. And it led to his first all-star game appearance and a batting title. So um, he's been a model citizen in the clubhouse, a a good teammate. He checks off a lot of boxes with the type of guy you want to lock up instead of trade. Right. You know what I'm saying? So to me, that's, that's, that's tempting for me to keep a guy like that because he's going to be a good fit. And since he's not a power guy, he's not going to cost you $20 million a year to to lock up. Now, I was told that the Twins tried to lock him up a year ago, and he turned it down in an effort to bet on himself, which looks like he bet and won because now he's got a batting title right. to bring to the negotiating table. So um, every every I, Lavelle GM has his price. If if, <laughs> if he needs to be part of a package for a really good pitcher, you know, like uh, which I think Lopez is, then I have to consider it. But trade him just to trade him because you're worried that you need to sell high because the body may give out. I don't like that type of approach at all. No. Um, let's get to a couple other things before we go. Um, enjoying this chat with Lavelle Enil the third. Um, Lavelle, stop me if you've heard this one before. The Vikings head coach is concerned and annoyed about what's going on on the other side of the ball outside of his <laughs> expertise. Um, this in this case, it's Kevin O'Connell and the the defense right now, which has been terrible lately for you know, five straight games of over 400 yards. They're dead last in a lot of statistical categories at Donatel on the hot seat to a certain degree. O'Connell getting asked, you know, are you thinking about making a change in who's calling the plays? He said, not at this time, but he definitely wants to see things run differently. If you're the, if you're Kevin O'Connell, what do you even do at this point? Because you're, you got four games left in the regular season. You're third, you're 10 and three. Like let's not, let's not forget about that. You've gotten, you know, you've gotten things done to a certain degree, even kind of with this patchwork defense. But it's kind of hard to see even what what the options are at this point, unless he's ready to kind of make a, a bold in season move. Well, you know, if they had a bye week to play with, where they could uh, seriously look at their scheme and make some some major changes, you know, maybe. But they really don't have enough time to overhaul the defense or make some major changes to try to get the most out of the personnel they have. So um, it looks like. This is not a good defense for Daniil Hunter. Uh, he's done very little all year, and maybe he needs to get back to the other, the 4-3, the where he can put his hand in the ground and be a disruptive force. Um, it looks like Zedarius Smith is playing hurt and probably could use a week off, But can, and they're 10-3, and three, so maybe they should think about giving him a week off to, to rest up because he's walking with a limp, you know, so that's a warning sign here. And when those two guys are not operating well, they're not getting the pass rush. And so when you're not getting the pass rush, these quarterbacks are throwing for 300 and 350 yards a game, and there's a gaping hole in the middle of the secondary because yes. guys can't cover. You know, It's a personnel problem as, part, as much of a schematic problem. Camlin, Cam Dancer sucks, and they need to move on from it after the season and bring in someone who's capable. I know he's a fantastic athlete, but he continuously makes mistakes out there. Um, you know, they're injured back there. You saw even with Harrison Smith back there trying to keep everything under control, they're still giving up yardage, you know. So uh, he'll be back this weekend. So that will that would help against the Colts, uh, a team they should easily handle. But I would seriously think about sitting uh, Zedarius out and let him uh, let him heal whatever bruises and bangs up he has uh, through the first uh, thirteen weeks of the season uh, uh, recover here. So. Um, they're just at the grin, they're buried here and realize that they may have to outscore their defense uh, down the stretch here because I think Sunday's game 
against the Lions you know, could could be a harbinger of what the postseason will look like if the Vikings play a credible team and can't get any pressure on the quarterback. Well, that's it. I mean, that's and you know, down the stretch, they're not really facing a lot of you know huge threats, right? You got you talked about the Colts. You know, the Colts have played some teams tough this year, but they're not a playoff team. Um, you know, the Giants are potentially a playoff team, but they've been fading a little bit here, and that's not a great offense in any stretch of the imagination. Then you got the the Packers and the Bears to end the year. And, you know, the Packers could still be playing something at that for at that point, but they might not be. And the Bears certainly, as you well know, uh, will not be there in another, you know, another right. uh, transition year, kind of trying to to, to sort out Justin Field and, and get the offense going in the right direction. So they're, they're going to have some opportunities, I think, to, to get well. They got to you know make sure they clinch this division at some point, which they should. Um, you know, either this weekend or next weekend, I mean, they're going to win one of these games and they probably could win a lot of these games. But but you're right. I mean, once you get to the playoffs, it's it's all good teams. There's no hiding in the playoffs and some are better than others. But, you know, you're not going to be playing, you know, you're not going to be playing a team that can't dice you up if you if you play the way you are right now, which my biggest complaint is they don't look hard to play against. You just watch them and everything seems easy. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, running the ball against the deep and and like I, like I said, picking that secondary apart. Um, it looks like there's points to be had when you face the Vikings. Um, you know, they caught a Detroit team that's on a roll offensively. They're scoring a lot of points. Um, guys are, you know, raising the game. You know, Amaran St. Brown, you know, is headed to a star, stardom as wide receiver. Uh, Jamison Williams is healthy now. Um, they got a decent running game. And Jared Goff doesn't make mistakes. You know, and, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, Detroit's put together a pretty decent offensive line full of, like, first round and second round draft yes. picks or whatever. <clears throat> so um, they ran into a team that offensively, um, is purring pretty good, but teams should be saying that about the Vikings. They have arguably the best receiver in football, yes. in Justin Jefferson. They have Kirk Cousins, who's a very accurate passer when he has time, and they have a quality running back in Dalvin Cook. And they should be causing more problems for opposing defenses, uh, I, I think. So I don't want them. I'm worried that KOC is going to get conservative because he feels like maybe I need some more ball control here to keep my defense off the field. I, that means we're headed back to Zimmer ball, Zimmer ball, which I don't want to see. No, um, I think I want to see the other way, where um, you you got to keep you got to keep throwing haymakers offensively, and just kind of open up the offense, knowing that you may have to be in a couple of shootouts here. Speaking of easy to play against, final thought, Lavelle, watch the uh, Wolves game. Actually, the last two Wolves games against Portland, and Portland just getting all the shots they wanted. They made a lot of shots. I mean, let's be honest, but Portland over one thirty in two straight wins over the Wolves. The Wolves can't, you know, the rebounding is bad. Like Gobert had 20 boards the other night. Nobody had, nobody else had more than four. Like Jade McDaniels doesn't rebound. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell doesn't rebound. Like none of these other guys get any rebounds. And yet the perimeter guys also are letting these guys just blow by them. And, you know, it's either something at the rim or it's penetrate and kick or it's, you know, getting to the line. Like the, the perimeter defense, I think, has been an underrated uh, failure of this team right now. And I talked about it the other day. Like, I feel like that's where they miss Patrick Beverly the most, like someone with a little bit of defensive accountability. And they did, they seem very easy to score against right now. It sounds out though. I saw a couple of times too, where they pulled Gobert out from under the basket uh, when they had the ball and they either blew around him. Cause he's not, cause he can't move. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and either drove to the basket for dunks or were able to find someone for an easy basket. So, uh, transition defense has been struggling as well. Um, and plus, Wolves can't make a shot. You know, they rely on Anthony Edwards doing 
uh, gymnastical madness when he drives to the basket to try to score, or D'Lo throwing up ill-advised shots uh, in the flow of the offense. They they they, they lack continuity, and it's going to look ugly here. Um, you know, they went to Utah, and you know, Gobert was motivated, playing against his former team, and they pulled out a nice victory there. But these two hiccups against Portland, and now they got to play the Clippers on Wednesday. Yes. And load management for Kawhi Leonard and uh, and Paul George has ended. They're playing well. They're playing together now, and they're playing well. And then they're going to be beat up after that game. They have to finish their road trip. Uh, I think they go to Oklahoma City. Yes. And Shea Gilgis Alexander is like among the league leaders in 30 point games in the league this year. Yeah. So, um, this could end up being like a one in three uh, road trip, a one in four road one trip. One in four, yeah. Uh, when they come uh, limping back home to play the Bulls at uh, Target Center, so it's not good with um, with uh, Towns' uh, sideline. I mean, there were some people saying well, maybe they play better when Towns is out. I don't think one of the most skilled big men in the league being out of your lineup is actually a positive. You can't tell me that. So no, uh, and it's tough too when you're playing every other day. You're playing two or three games a week it's hard to get practice time to work on things sure. in the NBA. You know, once you get on that hamster wheel where you're just playing games and traveling, it's hard to get in the gym and get in the lab and, and, and try to scheme up some things that can, that can stop the, stop the bleeding here. So, you know, the wolves are just trying to kind of plug the holes in the dike right now. And it's not working. Let's talk about one thing quick that you like go for hockey right now. You watch them that top line, man, they're, they're fun. They're a lot of fun. You know what? Uh, I watched Saturday's game against Wisconsin, and Wisconsin was up two nothing in the first period. I'm like, oh, I guess Wisconsin's going to retaliate for losing on, on was it Saturday? I can't remember anymore. And all of a sudden, in the span of two minutes and like twenty seconds, of wow! I'm sorry. The uh, the Gophers <laughs> scored three goals to lead three to two at the end of the first period, and it's ridiculous. Uh, this Snuggleroo kid uh, is going to be a monster. Uh, if he stayed at uh, Minnesota for all four years, he probably would be like their all-time leading scorer. Um, uh, the other guy, the other kid, Logan, was uh, a second overall pick in Logan the draft. Cooley, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Logan Cooley, yeah. Logan Cooley. And, of course, I covered Matty Nyes at the Olympics earlier this year. Oh, sure. So I know what he can do. And, and, and Brock Faber as well. This team's loaded, man. That first line, that top line is ridiculous. Now, someone pointed out to me like two years ago, the University of Michigan had like Four guys taken like in the first six picks of the draft. Yes, uh, which is ridiculous, and, and they got knocked out uh, like in the quarterfinals uh, uh, of the NCAA tournament. So I was like, how how often do you have a team in which their top line, you know, is all high draft picks? Because Nice was a second, the other two guys were first. Um, but they mentioned that Michigan team. But uh, I like this Gopher team, and they're set up for a big run here after the holiday break, and it's gonna be fun. And I hope. Uh, I hope that uh, Mariucci Arena or 3M or whatever you call it, 3M Arena yeah. will be packed here down the stretch because they're going to be playing some meaningful games and they're going to be preparing for an NCAA run here that could bring some glory back to the Gopher hockey program. I agree with all of that and I agree with uh, the fact that uh, Lavelli Neal III does a terrific job covering all of this. Read his stuff, Star Tribune and StarTribune.com. Lavelle, let's do this again soon. Absolutely. I think the funniest thing about all of this is that I told Lavelle, like, I think I feel like the Correa's thing is going to happen soon. Let's let's talk now before it becomes obsolete. And then, of course, hours before the podcast is going to go live, but hours 
after he and I talk. That is exactly when we get the Korean news. Sometimes it just happens. I don't get caught too often in that space, but every once in a while it happens, and uh, hopefully we made the best of it. Let's finish with the cooler. Had some thoughts about Mike Leach, the longtime college football coach who sadly passed away earlier this week um, from a heart condition at the age of 61. Um, talked to him a little over 10 years ago. He had a couple books out, was doing a kind of a, a publicity tour, um, and so I had a chance to catch up with him, did a Q&A with him. I'd never talked to him before. Obviously, I'd followed his career when he was at Texas Tech. He was kind of between jobs at the time that I talked to him. It was 2011, and it was kind of an interesting time because just the year before, there had been some rumors and rumblings that he might be in line for the Gophers job that eventually went to Jerry Kill. Um and I'd asked him about that, and he said he's not disappointed at all. It's, you know, never, nothing ever really got close with that. It was more of a, a rumor and rumbling kind of thing. Um, but just getting to talk to him, getting to understand what a character he was, um, you know, and we use the word, we bandy, bandy around the word character and what does exactly it mean. I mean, it means to me, you know, that someone ha- someone who kind of breaks out of certain norms, someone who you know, doesn't really fit into a mold that you might expect. And that was definitely Mike Leach. And that was definitely what I remembered from my conversation with him. And the quote that resonates with me that I had to go back and find um, from that Q&A was this one, just asking him about, you know, how how he is a, a little bit of a different personality in college football. He says, I've been accused of being curious. Life is a bit of a buffet. You try to pick and choose from a variety of things. In order to really appreciate it, you can't be everywhere good advice um that that uh, that still sticks with me today hopefully that can stick with you as well and you know a lot of things from his life that we can remember even now that he has passed that will do it for today's show should have some good stuff coming up tomorrow thinking i'm talking to ben gessling a day early we'll talk to him on thursday's show with that game on saturday and a special treat coming up friday a longtime vikings fan is going to join me on that show for a very special upcoming game here on saturday against the colts thank you for joining me here on daily delivery today i'm michael rand back at it again on thursday